Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Isaiah chapter 7 is a well-known passage. We read it each Christmas at Christmas carols and the alike. But yet it's not an easy passage to understand. It's, it's quite complicated. And often, we really don't know what's going on until it gets to verse 14. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. And we go, ah, that's Mary and Jesus. But is this verse really speaking about the birth of Jesus? And if so, how? And how does this verse relate to everything else in the passage, which seems to be about two invading armies? So is Isaiah 7 speaking about Jesus? Well, the answer is obviously no and yes. You see, we first need to understand what this passage is saying within its original historical context before we can discover how it finds a greater fulfillment in Jesus. So, we will first look at what the passage meant within its historical context. Then we will look at how this passage is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And then finally we will look at what this passage means for us today. So, what is the original historical context? Well, in we read in verse 1, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rizm of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. Well, there you go. That clears things up. Okay, let me explain. It's about 734 BC. That is about 700 years before Jesus was born. And Ahaz is the king of Judah, down in the south. And he is in his capital city, Jerusalem, when all of a sudden he gets news that two kings, the king of Israel and the king of Aram, are about to invade. And that they want to overthrow him and put one of their own men on his throne in his place. So this is an attack on him and his dynasty. Okay, that's important. So, quite naturally, he is terrified. And he is in a panic. And in his panic, we discover in 2 Kings chapter 16... In verses 5 to 9, that he makes a secret treaty with Assyria, which was the superpower of the day. And in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 7, we discover that Ahaz is busy inspecting the aqueduct, the city's water supply. Something that would be vital for the city's survival against an invading army. So he is in a panic and he is busy running around doing everything he can to protect himself. But he is missing the point. You see, in verse 2, Ahaz is referred to as the house of David. This is significant. This means that Ahaz is a descendant of King David. And David was the greatest king of Judah. And God had promised David that one of his descendants, the house of David, the dynasty of David, 
would always be on the throne and that God would protect him and keep him safe. Therefore, Ahaz should not be in a panic. He should be trusting God's promise. He should not be putting his trust in water supplies and he should definitely not be putting his trust in the Assyrians. He should be putting his trust in God. And so God tries to encourage him and reassure him that he will protect him and that he does not have to worry about these two invading nations. And so the prophet Isaiah brings a message of assurance in verse 4 and we read, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering snubs of firewood. He is told not to panic, to keep calm. But how can he be calm? How can he experience inner peace when two armies are invading? Well, Isaiah gives us a couple of reasons. Firstly, he refers to these two invading nations as small green snubs of firewood. They might look threatening, but there was little fire left in them. There were smoldering snubs or cigarette butts that would soon be snuffed out. These two nations would soon be destroyed. And secondly, as for their plan to overthrow Ahaz and put their own man on his throne in his place, God says in verse 7, It will not take place. It will not happen. Why will it not happen? Isaiah says in verse 8, for the head of Aram is only Rezim. And in verse 9, the head of Ephraim, that's another word for Israel, is only Remaliah's son. The implication, of course, is that there is only a mere human at the head of these two invading nations, yet the head of Judah is God himself. And so Isaiah says to him, at the end of verse 9, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If Ahaz puts his trust in God, if he puts his trust in God's word and the promises that God will protect him, then these two invading nations will not succeed. Then he will be fine. But if he puts his trust in his own strategies, the water supplies, and his own political scheme in his treaty with Assyria, then he will be defeated. You see, the only way to experience inner peace in the midst of hardship is to put your trust in the Word and the promises of God. And to further encourage Ahaz to trust God, God offers to give Ahaz a sign to prove that what he has said would actually happen. But Ahaz is not interested in, in God's opinion or plan. And he says in verse 12, I will not put the Lord to the test. What a hypocrite! He tries to look righteous and spiritual while at the same time refusing God's offer. He refuses to listen to God. He refuses to trust God. Isn't this so true of us? When we are struggling to trust God, and we are starting to trust in our own plans, 
And we sometimes say, I'm not going to pray about it. I don't want to bother God. I can handle this on my own. By the way, it's not testing God to do what God says. But it is testing God to refuse God's offer of a sign. That is why Isaiah says in verse 13, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? God is becoming impatient with Ahaz's unbelief. And God basically says to Ahaz and the whole household of David, that is the the king's household, well, I'm going to give you a sign whether you like it or not. And we read in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now the Hebrew word translated virgin actually means a young woman of marriageable age. Which of course within that ancient culture would normally always be a virgin. So who is this young woman? Well the text does not tell us who she is. She could be any virgin known to them. However from the context it seems most likely that she is part of the house of David. For the sign is given to the house of David, and she is probably sitting right there in the court. I can just imagine Isaiah pointing with his elbow as he says, the virgin will conceive. So it's most likely that the virgin is the king's wife, and therefore the son would be an heir to the throne. The king would marry a virgin who would then conceive and give birth to a son, and this son would be assigned to the king and the whole household of David, that God was with them, protecting his dynasty, because the son is an heir to the throne. However, there is more to the sign than that. We continue reading in verse 15 and 16. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. After the son is born, somewhere after the son has been born and and by the time he's old enough to reject wrong and choose right, that would be when he's about 12 years old, when he's having his bar mitzvah, he becomes the son of the law. So somewhere between his birth and by the time he's 12 years old, both of these two invading nations would be totally destroyed. And that is exactly what happened. Isaiah delivered this prophecy in 734 BC. Two years later, Assyria had completely destroyed Aram and had invaded the northern parts of Israel. Twelve years later, Assyria had completely destroyed Israel. The prophecy was fulfilled. And at that time, everyone would know that God was faithful to his promises and that God was truly with them. But there was a very real consequence to Ahaz's lack of faith. 
And we read in verse 17, The Lord will bring on you and your on your people and on your house of your father a time like unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Because Ahaz was foolish enough to put his trust in Assyria rather than trusting God, Assyria would turn on him and would become his greatest enemy. But even then, God would prove to be faithful to his promise and would protect them, for God is with them. And when we try to take matters into our own hands rather than trusting God, there will be dire consequences. But even then, God will still remain faithful to his promises and God will still be with us. So this is what the passage meant within its original historical context. In a time of great distress, a virgin would marry, conceive and give birth to a future king as a sign that God is faithful to his promises, that God is with us and that God would rescue us. And therefore it's not difficult to see how this passage found a greater fulfillment in Jesus. Once again, the people of God found themselves in great distress as the Romans occupied their land. And evil seemed to be ruling the world. But moreover, they were, they were in distress because of their own sin and the evil within their own heart. And at a time when it felt like God had abandoned them, God gave them a sign, a literal virgin, Mary gave birth to the ultimate future king, a descendant of David, who was Emmanuel, literally God with us in the flesh. And this was a sign that God is still faithful to his promise. He is still with us and he will ultimately rescue us from all evil, even the evil within our own heart. And this sign, the birth of Jesus, encourages our faith and inspires us to remain faithful and to trust God, even in the midst of a crisis. And even today, when we face various difficulties, it might not be a literal army attacking us, but we will face many difficulties and uncertainties in life. And it's easy to start panicking like King Ahaz. It's so easy to start trusting in our own schemes and plans as we, we try to sort out the things that we ultimately cannot control. And this just leads to more anxiety and it will often make the situation worse. For there are dire consequences to taking matters into our own hands rather than trusting God. You see, there will be difficulties and hardships in life. This is the result of living in a fallen world. But the way to experience peace in the midst of chaos is to let go and let God. The way to experience inner peace is to trust God and to trust the promises of God. God has promised us that He will never leave us nor forsake us that He will be with us until the very end of the age. And God has promised us that ultimately one day He will restore all things. All evil and sin and death will be destroyed. 
and all things will be the way they should be. And we can trust God because He has given us the ultimate sign of His faithfulness and His love for us by coming to us as an infant, being born of a virgin, placed in a manger, and then ultimately dying for us. Emmanuel, God with us. Are you facing difficulties, hardships, uncertainties? Are you in a panic trying to resolve the situation? Do you need inner peace in the midst of chaos? If so, then at this Christmas time, reflect on God's ultimate sign to always be with you, to protect you, and ultimately to rescue you. The Virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the ultimate sign of your faithfulness, the ultimate sign of your love for us. And Father, we confess that so often when we're in a crisis, when things, when we're facing hardships and difficulties, we struggle to trust in you. We rather put our trust in our own schemes and our own plans. We try to take matters into our own hands. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you help us to let go and let you take control? And Father, at this Christmas time, we, we pray that we would be able to focus afresh on that wonderful sign of your faithfulness. The Virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son. Emmanuel. And as we reflect on that, Father, won't you inspire our faith, give us more confidence and boldness to trust you, knowing that you are truly with us, and that one day you will restore all things. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.